0: This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Khan Nam. And I'm Jamal Dejani. Jamal, we have another great show today, but uh, in the midst and within the context of really some significant catastrophic events continuing. We're broadcasting from Northern California where the fires in Northern California and throughout the state continue to be for the most part, uncontained with, you know, hundreds of thousands of acres burning, poor air quality, mass evacuations. It's really bad. The pandemic, COVID-19, is still, despite what you're hearing from the Republican Convention, and uh, Vice President Pence uh, continues to be ravaging throughout this country. And on top of all that, Jamal, we have Hurricane Laura, which is ravaging the Gulf Coast, and last but not least, which we'll talk about today, black men are continuing to get assassinated on a daily basis. We've had yet another brutal murder and assassination of a young black man uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. So we have a lot to cover today uh, from our remote, somewhat uh, uh, fire uh, uh related uh you know uh locations in northern california that's right yes and we're still following up to on our
1: prior uh, conversations about the uh situation or the place i would say for arab americans and muslim americans in this whole election process and the presidential right. election process Uh, We've had uh, several interviews about this topic, and so uh, this is our most recent interview, which is, we're going to watch it and and hear it now, uh, with Hueda Araf, a Palestinian-American human rights attorney and a Bernie Sanders delegate from Michigan. We are a little bit over two months away from the U.S. presidential elections, Both Trump and Biden have accepted their party's nominations. Most Arab Americans and Muslim Americans supported Bernie Sanders, but now they are expected to pivot towards Joe Biden. Most of them are not excited. Joining us to discuss these issues and more, Palestinian American attorney and human rights activist and national Bernie Sanders delegate to the 2020 DNC, Huayda Araf. Welcome to Arab Talk, Huayda.
2: Thank you
1: for having me, Johan. I want uh, to take us a little bit uh, back to what transpired before the big show nights uh, at the DNC. You wrote, uh, along with two of your colleagues in the Washington Post, an opinion piece in which you said that the 2020 democratic platform betrays Palestinians and again gives Israel a pass. Palestinian-American delegates offered uh, six amendments to the proposed Israel-Palestine plan. Of the six, only three were even considered by the committee, and of those, none were adopted. This was a real disappointment. Please uh, elaborate on what happened and why the DNC keeps throwing Palestinian-Americans and Palestine, the issue of Palestine, under the bus every time.
2: Yep. Yeah, thank you for bringing that up. It was a very frustrating process uh, for us because we understand that this year is very different and doing things remotely had a different feel to it. Nevertheless, we expected to, as elected delegates, be able to participate in the process. There is a platform drafting committee. Uh, it was hard for us to be able to get in touch with this dra- platform drafting committee, and then whatever they draft goes to the larger platform committee, which votes on it. We did not even, and members themselves did not even know who the other members or all the other members of the committee were. So to be able to get in touch with them, to inform them of our views on things and why they should insert certain things was very difficult. We managed to, I think, do a good job in light of the circumstances, and we submitted uh, six amendments. Three of them had to do with, uh, and three of them Actually, uh, other groups we know also kind of lobbied around and, and Senator Sanders himself adopted. It had to do with recognizing that Palestinians were under occupation so that the territory that, uh, are occupied. The second one has to do with, you know, platform language said that the Biden administration or the, the Democrats oppose a settlement expansion. We wanted to make sure that that was not just settlement expansion, but all settlements. And the third was to condition USAID so that it is not used to commit human rights abuses we find it completely insufficient to just say that you know, the United States supports a peaceful settlement or a two-state solution, and then continue to enable one party to make that impossible and, and not place any kind of conditions on the $3.8 billion that the United States give Israel per year. All of those were rejected. The others, The, the other amendments I wanna to touch on quickly, because I think they're important, even though they were not even considered, they were not brought up as amendments when the vote took place, One of them was on Jerusalem. It said that the Democrats support, you know, Jerusalem remaining the undivided capital of Israel. All we asked for was remove undivided. I mean, East Jerusalem is recognized internationally as being occupied. It is occupied territory. Even the United States historically also recognizes this occupied territory. So just remove undivided. The other thing was, the platform said we recognize the worth of, Palestinians and Israelis. I mean, they didn't even say equal worth. We said, take out worth and put equal rights. We recognize the equal rights of all people. And then the third thing was the Democrats support a strong uh, Jewish state of Israel. We said, remove Jewish because uh, everyone that lives in Israel is not Jewish. I mean, my own family, we constitute 20% of, you know, that are Palestinian citizens of Israel. And so uh, supporting Israel being a Jewish state is condoning the uh, all of the racist laws that can you currently exist that discriminate against non Jews, so those weren't even considered. And I think that w- we need to continue to push on all of these and more. And what it shows is that the Democratic Party, unfortunately, is 20 30 years behind the times. I mean, this is stuff that we were arguing about 20 30 years ago, and the progressive movement, and more and more average Democrats, poll after poll, is showing that. Uh, most Democrats, if not a majority of Americans, are leaning towards uh, sanctioning Israel. Most favor taking a balanced approach. And we can't even, you know, forget sanctioning. We can't, the United States can't even take a balanced approach. So we definitely let the party know that they are out of step with the majority of the Democratic Party. And, And that is, you know, really putting the Democratic Party in a... In not an ideal stance. And it's not just on Palestine. That was something that we were advocating for, but we also had alliances with and worked very hard uh, together with those advocating for Medicare for all, um, or those advocating for stronger, you know, police reforms, uh, environmental issues. Um, the platform made some adjustments on and some improvements on Palestine specifically. There were some good things, if you want me to, I'll talk about them, but it continues to be deeply inadequate. And we were very much disappointed with the process. We felt like our voices were not
1: heard. My understanding also they did not want to uh, use the word occupation.
2: Exactly. They. So we had a delegate that um, that put forth the amendment that you, the word occupation is added and then two people rose up to speak against the amendment. And these two people were a former um, ambassador to Israel, Dan Shapiro, who talked about, you know, the language being good enough. And for the sake of the unity of the party, let's not use divisive words, basically. <laughs> when these are not just words. So when we just you, stay, right? in denial, it's stay in
1: denial, basically.
2: Stay in denial and kind of sacrificing, basically saying that because an occupied people have rights, this is not just about Words. This is about recognizing that Israel has a responsibility to the occupied civilian population and it violates that with its policies every day. So if the United States rejects acknowledging that, or let's say the Democratic Party in this case doesn't even acknowledge that this territory is occupied, you are also really turning a blind eye to Israel's violations of its obligations under international law to the occupied civilian population and so for mr shapiro to get up and say uh let's not divide the party by arguing over words is was just unbelievable i mean i guess we can believe. Yeah, well
1: that. i mean occupation is the is the crux of the issue so that's that's kind of like uh, really you know weird you know what, even- what?
2: It is, but it isn't. It is in that yes, this territory is is militarily occupied, but that's not all. In fact, as a the human rights community ha, is is slowly coming on board with this notion that yes, it's occupied, but the occupation is just a um, one aspect of Israel's larger settler colonial project that has been going on since before 1948 and True. now this territory is occupied but we're actually dealing with a, a massive very ugly uh, secular colonial project and so we and so to still be arguing with the democratic party about recognizing occupation that is really not in dispute anywhere is just pathetic honestly
1: so uh, recently palestinian american activist linda Sarsour uh, made a brief appearance on a panel as part of the democratic national convention where she discussed voter engagement in the Muslim community. Biden's campaign denounced her after, um, I guess, Trump supporters uh, objected about her presence and distanced uh, themselves from her, Um, you know, and here's a quote from uh, um, uh, her campaign spokesperson, Andrew Bates, who said uh, immediately, Joe Biden has been a strong supporter of Israel and a vehement opponent of anti-Semitism his entire life. And he obviously condemns her views and opposes BDS as does the democratic uh, platform. She has no role in the Biden campaign whatsoever. And of course this upset a lot of uh, Arab American organizations, Muslim American organizations. There was a major outcry. And then recently I read uh, that the Biden campaign apologized privately, not to Linda Sarsour, not to the community, but in a uh, private, uh, I think, conference call, if, uh, if I'm right. What's your take on this?
2: Well, yes, uh, Mr. Bates's statement was outrageous. You're right. It it angered a lot of people, it was uncalled for. Linda Sarsour is a phenomenal activist, community activist. She was also a Bernie delegate. She had every right to be and to participate fully in the convention and also as a as a proud Muslim and, and an organizer to be part of a, a Muslim panel that was part of the convention. It's fully within her right um, and to be there. She should have been there. So for, for Mr. Bates to come out and say what he did was absolutely uncalled for. And the fact that they, he took the bait of some right-wing groups that the Biden campaign is not even going to win the votes of is obnoxious. So there was a lot of um, outcry and the campaign realized that they made a big mistake. And then, you know, came this the organization of this meeting uh, the meeting that you referenced with senior Biden officials um, was intended to not apologize privately to, to some people in a meeting that didn't include Linda. No, it was it was pegged as a meeting to hear the community, the Muslim, Arab, and Palestinian uh, community, representatives from each, and, and to try to do better. And the representatives of the community went in to demand to demand a public retraction and apology, and uh, so that was the purpose of the meeting. But then, what happened is, unfortunately, the the news of the, the uh, a recording of the meeting was leaked. We don't know who leaked it. Um, it. We don't even know which side leaked it. It could have been the campaign. It could have been one of the attendees. We don't even know. But it it just about gave the campaign an out a way to say, well, here, now our private apology went public. So no way, you know, they can't now issue whether they were going to take our uh, demand seriously and issue a public apology. um, I don't know, but now it's, it's almost done with. And the way that, uh, that with a leak was dealt with was unacceptable because spokesperson, Simone Sanders came out and said yes the purpose of the meeting was to uh, assure the Arab and Muslim and Palestinian and she specifically meant the Palestinian community that you know we are uh, we didn't mean any offense and we want them to be included we are trying to build this inclusive campaign which was fine but then the last sentence she inserted we continue to reject the views of Linda Sarsour which is unacceptable because mm-hmm. what I mean, one thing that we made clear in the meeting is that civil society chose boycott, divestment, and sanctions. I mean, uh, this is really what what, uh, Linda is being rejected for, her views rejected for, because she adopts a boycott, divestment, and sanctions movement, right? And we made clear that this is a civil society um, response to the complete impotence of the international community to hold Israel responsible for the lives and the welfare of the Palestinian people. And and that includes our families that are there. For Palestinians, it is our families that live there. So it might be just a word for you here or or a tactic for you. For us, it's the lives of of people. And for you to come out and condemn or reject is is unacceptable. It's insulting. It doesn't just insult. And you're not just rejecting um, Linda, but you're rejecting, and not only Palestinians, because the the Palestinian issue is widely adopted by the Muslim and the broader Arab American community, and even by progressives with the alliances that we're building. Well, the BDS
1: is an international movement. I mean, the BDS is an international movement, and it is, I mean, after all, it should be protected uh, under your First Amendment. You know, I can can choose to boycott McDonald's, and nobody's going to object, you know, if I said that. But then when... I want to boycott an Israeli product. All hell breaks loose.
2: Exactly, and there are now, there are now, you know, across the United States, almost thirty states now that have some form of of law, state law, that is um, that imposes some kind of repercussion for endorsing or in any way advocating a boycott of the state of Israel, which is unconstitutional. In some states, it's been challenged. In the states in which it's been challenged. um, the, you know, it has been found to be unconstitutional. So that's good. We know not only right, but also uh, the constitution is on our side. And one thing, the platform, the, the platform committee, uh, sorry, the uh, democratic platform, the Israel-Palestine plank specifically, unfortunately denounced the boycott, divestment and sanctions movement, but it did say that they recognize it is a First Amendment right. Mm-hmm. So we don't agree with it. We don't agree with um, a, any attempts to isolate Israel, etc., at the United Nations or through boycott, divestment, and sanctions. But we recognize that this is a First Amendment right. So here is a Democratic committee saying that they actually believe that all of these laws being passed in these states and any kind of other effort to, um, to stifle this First Amendment right is wrong and is unconstitutional. That wasn't mentioned, you know, by the spokespeople, by Biden's spokespeople, when they denounced Linda's views. Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think uh, the Biden campaign is taking Arab uh, American votes for granted? I,
2: I don't think that they're not taking the votes for granted. I, I think that as um, as Palestinian Arabs and Muslims. We have been over the last few years and decades really building up our political power and not just within our own communities, but by creating alliances um, over shared issues with other communities. And this, this is why um, when the community was offended, I, I think the campaign realized they made a big mistake and they were trying to fix it. Now, I don't think they fixed it in the right way. I don't personally think they fixed it. Some, other, some others might think, okay, it's it's good enough for now. Um, biden is you know he has the rhetoric of trying to build a big umbrella and unite and bring people under which is why it is so disheartening that you would come out and and insult our community in this way the biden campaign has been trying to you know holding these meetings with different groups with different ethnic groups and they've met with the muslim community separately the arab American community separately the Palestinian American community separately to listen about you know our policy concerns but and that's good they're to be commended for that but what we haven't seen yet is what they take at least from the Palestinian community with regards to palestine and and start with their language at least even if it's not on paper and policy yet at least with their language show us that they understand, and they're willing to make change. And if they're not willing to show us that now in the campaign when they want our vote, how can we trust that they'll do it afterwards if they're in power, if they get the presidency?
1: I mean, you uh, you live in Michigan, right? Yes. And that's uh, one of the swing states, uh... Hillary Clinton lost it by a few hundred votes, maybe a few thousand votes, um, And Arab Americans can make a difference, right? And not just only in Michigan, but other states, Florida, etc, and, and so on. So we have had a conversation we've had uh, as our guest uh, on the show a couple of weeks ago, uh, Dr. James Zogby. Mm-hmm. And then he said, "Listen, um, sometimes Arab Americans, or you might, uh, you, know, you might need to hold your nose and vote." implying like, you know, yeah, most of them wanted Biden, I mean, Bernie Sanders, but now we have Biden and Biden supports Israel. We know his stance on, on, on Israel and on the Palestinians, but, um, you know, that's what you should do. I mean, do you think Arab Americans, I mean, I've seen this and I've seen that those blunders that the campaign is now has committed. Do you think Arab Americans are going to, Go out and vote uh, for Biden.
2: I, I think that right now, honestly, it is a a question in our community as far as whether whether we're going to vote Biden. I, I'm I'm hearing that people are conflicted with this, and we have every right to be conflicted. We are not in a good position, and it's not because we are one issue voters that you know. Palestine is the only thing, at least for for Palestinians and most who place that issue very high uh, on their concerns. But it's it's that it's so important in that it translates really into people's lives. So when you get someone that outright speaks against you, that insults you, that um, it's hard to, it's not just holding your nose and voting for the the lesser of two evils. It's not that at all. It becomes a matter of dignity. You want me to campaign for and to endorse and to vote for you when you don't even uh, recognize my dignity, my equal worth, and you outright uh, insult my community and my views and then refuse to publicly apologize for it. And so it's very difficult. I think the campaign realized that part, which is why they tried to issue some sort of apology that was a non-apology. And right now, I think we have to make a decision. We realize that the danger of Trump. um, But in terms of of, uh, Palestine and the lives of our families, things will superficially get better under Biden. But unless we're able to really get in there and make some policy changes, um, continuing with the track that we have been on for the last 25, 30 years, uh, under Democratic and Republican administrations is only going to make things worse in the longer run. Um, but the, one of the arguments is, at least with Biden, we have access. They are, we have access to the door. We might not be at the table yet, but at least we're. they're opening the door for us. With the Trump administration, you can't even talk to them. Um, and so I think people have to make their own decisions. Honestly, I'm not... He, uh, I'm expressing to you kind of both sides right now. Uh, in the end, I don't think anyone's going to go out and vote for Trump. But wh- if happens, what happens in 2016, which is a lot of people going out to vote because they realize it's their civic duty, but not voting for the top of the ticket. And that's really what happened, for example, in Detroit, where a mm-hmm. lot of Hillary would have won Michigan if more people would have just voted for top. But couldn't plug their nose and vote for Hillary Clinton, uh, that's going to be a problem. So I hope to see more outreach, more overtures, more, you know, signs of understanding from the Biden community. And then people can actually go out and say, yes, uh, a Biden-Harris administration will respect us, will listen to us, and we will will be able to get uh, in the door and sit at the table.
1: Well, on that note, uh, Hawaii, I want to thank you for coming on Arab Talk, and uh, we hope to have you soon.
2: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: That's uh, the voice and the face, if you're watching, of Hawaii Araf. Huayda is a human rights attorney based in Washington, D.C. She's a Bernie Sanders delegate from my home state of Michigan. (laughs) She was uh, in
1: Washington, D.C. She's actually, she is now in Michigan.
0: She's back in Michigan. Okay. And, um, well, Jamal, I mean, it kind of sounds, I mean, I hate to beat this dead horse, but, uh, you know, she's saying a lot of the things that you and I have been speaking about for a long time. And uh, I think she represents a growing trend about how Arab Americans and Muslim Americans are feeling right now about how this race is shaping up and how people feel about, uh, you know, Joe Biden.
1: Well, we'll talk about this later on, we'll reflect uh, on the uh now, the ongoing uh, RNC, I guess this is the last uh, uh, hoopla night uh, for uh, Donald Trump. And we watched the DNC uh, last week and will comment on that. And I said the kind of the stark absence of Arab American voices, Muslim American voices, uh, you know, under that so-called large tent. And uh, but uh, we're speaking here again just And I wish we are not talking about it, frankly, because here we go again, you know, another murder of an African-American black man, Jacob Blake, 29-year-old, who, again, we watch it all on video, who had his back turned and shot seven times by a cop in the back. Walking in to his front car. of, in
0: front of his, but in front of his children.
1: In front of it, and then, to add to this, a 17-year-old Kyle Reitenhaus uh, was arrested by the Lake County Police, and and by the way, uh, we're talking about Wisconsin, right? So he was arrested. Uh, initially, they let him go. Right. If you see prior videos, the 17-year-old and other. Militia-like white men carrying firearms, long arms, Jamal. These are rifles. Rifles, not, walking, not just pistols, like vigilantes and and what have you. And he ended up shooting the seventeen-year-old. Right. I'm thinking about the seventeen-year-old, and I'm thinking about seventeen-year-old is preparing himself or herself for college, uh, studying for the S.A.T.s or what, whatever. And this guy instead is patrolling the streets. You know, as a vigilante. Uh he's a big supporter of Trump, right? The mega part of this whole MAGA crowd. Shoots and kills two people. So now right. he's on, on, on these charges, right? So I lost count, yes. I really lost count how many black men have been murdered.
0: Well how we, many shows we,
1: have we done on this topic?
0: Well, we've been doing shows on this topic, Jamal, since we have been doing Arab Talk for over a decade now. And tragically, I'm sorry to say that we are going to continue to talk about the ongoing slaughter and murder of black men, women, and children in this country. It's not going away. Um, in, in In some respects, it may be getting worse. I want to say two things. One, about this white supremacist vigilante that was arrested by the uh, Kenosha, Wisconsin Police Department, there's a picture of him in the front row of a Trump rally. So, yeah, he's not just a Trump supporter, but this is a, a, a young man who is so enamored of Donald Trump that he would go to a rally and sit in the front and stand in the front row. We have this, and I'm sorry to use this word, but it, it kind of fits, explosion of white supremacy and vigilantism, feeling as if they can just come out of the closet now with arms. I mean, what is it say about our society and culture now that white men with long arms with rifles can patrol the streets and shoot uh, innocent bystanders uh, at whim? It tells you a lot about what has happened in the last four years under this administration. Now, on the flip side of that, which I think is positive in some ways, we have Le- LeBron James, the NBA, the the Major League Baseball, and to some extent the Ma- National Football League, basically Milwaukee, saying Milwaukee Bucks, Milwaukee Bucks is enough. Of, uh, is enough is enough. So finally, Colin Kaepernick, three years later, being vindicated for what he did, you have the NBA basically saying we're not going to play in the playoffs. As a protest about what happened to Jacob Blake, Jacob Blake is murdered, shot in the back seven times, almost at point blank range in front of his children. So we we are as as I think as we get closer to the election in in November, Jamal. Unfortunately, my hunch is that African Americans and people of color are going to get even more targeted now as the white supremacy movement, white entitlement movement, white grievance movement begins to feel more anxious as they see that Trump may not be reelected.
1: Well, you know, Jess, uh, I was thinking about it. I watched the video and going back to this uh, young uh, now murderer, Kyle Rittenhouse or alleged murderer. And watching the video that they showed prior to the shooting, him marching, yeah. carrying a rifle, uh, uh, on his side another guy, the same thing, uh, gun-toting, walking around, the police is in the background. And I was like thinking, where did I see this scene? I saw this scene in Hebron. I saw settlers right. doing the same thing, carrying M16s right. and what have you, with the Israeli occupation army in the background, watching them, not doing anything about them. They're watching, like, you know, and it's the same thing. And I'm thinking this is the same mentality of this whole disregard of human lives, be it in the United States, the total disregard of brown and black people lives, that the police just goes ahead and shoots somebody in the back seven times, that the police needs on the neck of a an individual. And when people are begging him to stop, to stop, I can't breathe. They continue, total disregard. I see, I saw the same scenes in Palestine. The reason you see Palestinian children, kids, teenagers getting killed, total disregard. It's a total society that is numb, has grown numb to dismiss these scenes. The only reason that we have this outrage, we have the NBA, of course, uh, and I applaud uh, LeBron James and, and all others is because we have videos. Think how long this has been going on. In Palestine, we've had videos. In fact, in Palestine, it's not the average person shooting the video on his uh, iPhone, whatever. It's usually AP, Associated Press, Reuters, uh, Al Jazeera, media outlets. They broadcast it, and it means nothing to the Israeli authorities and uh, you could have the video captured for multiple a- a- angles, uh, murdering innocent children, men and women. Uh, and it's a total, it's really the total disregard from human life, the debasing of humanity. Uh, and this is what I'm seeing here. And this well, is what Jamal, we've been
0: seeing here. It's the same thing. I think you're exactly right. And it's not lost on most people in the uh, who are rising up and confronting social, racial, economic injustice, that what is happening to black Americans in this country is part and parcel of what is happening in another white supremacy area with the Israeli military and the Israeli government and what they've been doing uh, to innocent Palestinian civilians for decades now and i think your comparison is spot on man and i think that the more we begin to discuss this and illuminate it we'll we'll see the painful and frightening similarities between the white colonial settler movement that uh, Israel was founded on, and the kind of growing white supremacy vigilante movement that we're seeing here in the United States. It's no mistake that Donald Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu and the two governments are in lockstep uh, politically, economically, militarily, and Jamal, I have to put this out there. It makes perfect sense then that that uh, Pompeo, uh, who's on the payroll of the U.S. government, who serves at the will of the president and is paid by taxpayers decides to give a political speech from the old city Mount of Olives in Jerusalem. What could be more ironic and painful and kind of disgusting to see our Secretary of State delivering a political speech from stolen occupied land?
1: Unprecedented to begin with. That, is, yes. uh, is that a serving and sitting Secretary of State gets dragged into campaigning for for his right. for his president and appearing at the. Uh, the convention, whether whether it's the Republican National Convention or the uh, Democratic Convention. That's number one. Number two, just a quick correction. I don't think the angle was from the Mount of Olives. I think it, he might have been on the rooftop of the King David Hotel uh, just from the angle. It could be a different yeah. hotel, but it's not from the Mount. I grew up there, so I know, you know, the whole <laughs> the whole neighborhood. But, I mean, here is, here is the, you know, if we're going to now maybe shift to Talking about the conventions, I mean, here is the uh, audacity, what I call, that he's lecturing and talking, and oh, we have this great, we're making peace. Well, guess what? He was above ground, I think, you know, 10 stories, 15 stories, I don't know how high. However, beneath him is apartheid, okay? Exactly. So he's trying to avoid talking from the streets of Jerusalem. You know, if he wanted to be brave enough, let him talk from the streets of the old city and show show around how Palestinians are treated when they enter Damascus Gate and all the guards, uh, armed guards to the teeth, Israeli military guarding the uh, Damascus Gate where Palestinians enter to shop or to go to to pray at the Holy Sepulchre or to pray at the Dome of the Rock or uh, Al-Aqsa. So he, you know, he's hanging up in the air, talking about peace and tranquility. Well, guess what, uh, Mr. Secretary? Apartheid is in the air. Maybe you were breathing it. Maybe you were avoiding to see it, but you can actually breathe it. And that's, that's right. kind of like the crazy thing about it. Aside from violating uh, whatever the protocol, Hatch Act, Act. Act etc. Uh, aside from this, his, his, his message, it's just... A very sad act of denial, total denial and disregard to what's happening on the ground right there in Jerusalem, where you have two laws governing two ethnicities, uh, when Palestinians cannot use certain roadways when they go to the West Bank when their home home demolitions happen almost on a weekly basis in in Jerusalem. And and he's like trying to put this happy act, uh, look at us, uh, we've created this peace. One thing I have to say, well, and I offered my congratulations to the UAE. Uh, My congratulations (laughs) to the UAE during the RNC and I said, guess what? You've
0: been mentioned for the very first time in an RNC convention. Welcome, congratulations, mabruk to the UAE for becoming part and parcel of the political machinery of the white supremacy movement here in the United States. I'm sure that the, uh, that the uh, sheikhs and the um, leaders and the kings and the monarchs and the princes of the UAE uh, are just delighted right now with uh, where they stand. And aside you know, from this, yes, it was, I would say, an interna-
1: entertaining convention. You have to agree with me. No, I uh, don't. I, I saw some entertainment value because the only thing that I was actually missing to be entertained by is uh, Jerry Falwar Jr. I was looking well, forward for his speech.
0: Well, I was looking forward to see if he would get on stage there and at least have his zipper zipped up. Well, that's and, why
1: I said I missed I missed uh, uh,
0: Jerry Falwar Jr., but...
1: I was deeply entertained, and sadly, in a way, maybe people, you know, they can sense my humor here. But uh, uh, our own, because that's a San Franciscan, Kimberly Guilfoyle, screaming at me in an empty room. I was like thinking, what was she? What the hell was she
0: doing? I mean, she looked. She looked like she was had taken some medication or something. I don't know what was going on. I don't on know. To I, I, I she thought screamed, she was in a break she into screamed.
1: singing like she Eva Peron or minutes. something <laughs> like this, Evita, or I don't know what. But uh, I mean, and the reason I say that because sadly I've met her f- uh, few times. You know, uh, she was married to uh, uh, now uh, our governor when he was mayor, um, yeah. uh, Gavin Newsom. Right. And and then you know she's talking about the experience of. Uh, um, her parents, as immigrants from Puerto Rico. Yes. Hey, Puerto Rico is a—they are U.S. citizens. Well, I don't know if that, you missed on that, but that's—that she was corrected by AOC about it, by the way.
0: Yeah, a lot of people in Puerto Rico uh, uh, slammed her for that for that thing. But I'm glad you were entertained by her, uh, Jamal. I was actually more entertained by uh, Herschel Walker and Tim Scott. that they managed to get two African-Americans to say with a straight face what a great job Donald Trump and his presidency have done for African-Americans in this country. I'm just trying to think of the psychological, emotional, mental contortions that Tim Scott and Herschel Walker, who is, you know. Hey, I mean,
1: the, the, the thing about it, you know, I mean, every single one, and that's their theme, Donald Trump, kept his promise. If you you remember, they always talk. So, oh boy, uh, Donald Trump built that wall.
2: Right? So that's
1: one of his promises. All, whatever, 2,700 miles of it. Donald Trump kept his promise and made Mexico pay for it. Donald Trump took care of our healthcare system. No wonder why we have now 180,000 plus Americans dead Dead. because of that. So, so what i mean what were they doing hallucinating Or they think if they can repeat the same lie time and time again everyone's going to believe
0: it well here's the thing jamal that's exactly right the republican playbook which is made very clear for the last four years is very simple disregard reality uh say that if you elect joe biden or the democrats there will be blood in the streets the country will fall apart And continue to lie about every single thing uh, Donald Trump has done. That's their playbook. You had Larry Kudlow, an economist, talk about how great the economy is doing, and then talking about the COVID epidemic, Jamal, in the past tense, as if the COVID epidemic and how Donald Trump saved everybody, uh, it's in the past now, as if we're past it. There's no longer an issue. And, um, That was troubling. And finally, I have to say that the first lady's uh, speech, I found chilling, especially when she said that Donald will not rest until every American is taken care of. I found the whole thing. I don't know if I'd use entertainment, but in terms of packaging to his base, you can bet that this appealed to his base and to some voters who may have some skepticism about Biden. I'm going to say it again, Jamal. If the Democrats rest on their laurels, they, lose. The Demo- they will lose. And here's another thing I will say. If they keep bringing out Hillary Clinton to speak, they will lose. Hillary Clinton should not be speaking. And I know I'm going to take a lot of heat from liberal I agree with Democrats. You. Everybody, if by saying that... But every time Hillary Clinton says something and she said, you know, if Joe Biden loses, he should not concede the, you know, his loss, something like that is just going to inflame even more people and get them to come out and vote. I said this last week. I'm going to say it every week. The Democrats ignoring these issues at your peril Because it doesn't matter that Joe Biden is 10 points ahead in any state. It does not matter. I'm going to add to this, Jess, and this is
1: back now commenting on the Democratic National Convention. Yes. Where they avoided all, basically, the progressives. They ignored them. and, And they totally ignored them. They didn't have AOC. They didn't have Rashida Tlaib. They didn't have you know AOC well, they AOC had AOC for one delegate. minute
0: No, they had her for one minute. Well, that's she as a delegate for, for Bernie Sanders right. because that's right. part of her duty but right.
1: not to speak on 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 behalf of the Democratic Party and they've had Bernie Sanders, but Bernie Sanders you know is towing the line and praising you know Biden and whatever. but they didn't have any of those new faces. That the party has been energized by recently those who came and won despite being dismissed uh, and beat uh, entrenched uh, uh, congressmen uh, like Elliot, uh, Elliot, Elliot Elliot Engel and replaced him handily. Exactly, exactly. You know, they were totally ignored and if this is the message, they were trying to show Appeal basically to the Republican voter to say, we are conservative or we are centrist or whatever. But that is not the face of the new Democratic Party.
0: No, it's not, Jamal. That's exactly right. And I think that we will continue to kind of hammer this point home because the way I see it, Jamal, the DNC convention uh, was like a Republican convention light um they're trying to package all of these things in a way to appeal to the middle yet again this strategy will fail in the fall of 2020, which is right around the corner. I mean, if, if they wanted to appeal to diversity,
1: don't you think they would have invited AOC to speak? They, they would have invited the first uh, two Muslim women, Rashida Tlaib and Ilhan Omar,
0: to, even, even just for a photo op or something like this? Well, here's interesting news, Jamal. The Republicans had more Muslims on stage. Ah, don't than... remind me. Not the <laughs> stage, actually... Actually, this is actually, uh, we've had
1: uh, uh, um, him as a guest, uh, Amr, um, uh, on, uh, on right. our show. And he said that the Republicans had more Arabs and Muslims. And this is in the swear-in ceremony in the White That's House. Right. That's uh, right. They've had a Sudanese Muslim woman and they had the Lebanese woman. Uh, being sworn in as new American citizens, they've had a uh, an African uh, man and they had, I forgot the four, but anyway, they had more diverse faces,
0: and that was well, uh, we know it was a show. No, but know. I'm just telling you, there were more Muslims at the RNC being showcased than at the DNC. So, you we you, you know I know our 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 colleague James Utky says, hold your nose we have to hold our nose. Well, you know, even when I hold my nose, Jamal, I I smell the stench within the Democratic Party of dishonesty, of ignoring progressive voices. And, you you know, this is not the time to alienate the very people that you need in order to win the election in 2020. You're absolutely right. A quick story, and
1: you've been uh, you're listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM. We have just for a few minutes, and this is talking about the hypocrisy and the disconnect in the in the within the Israeli society. Really, right. uh, there is a, a major uproar now in Israel, and justifiably so. A, a young uh, Israeli girl got trapped in the um, Red Sea resort town of Eilat by 30 young Israelis, basically standing in line. She's a 16-year-old, and everybody's saying it's a shocking attack. Went on for many uh, hours, and they've been arresting these guys. Uh, Some of these suspects are minors. Some are not, you know. However, the reason I mentioned this because a few months ago we've highlighted a story where, or a couple of months ago, I don't think it was longer, uh, the raping of oh, a, Cyprus a British 16-year-old by Israeli uh, right. youth in Cyprus, and right. the media, both the Israeli government, the media, and public opinion said, no, 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 our boys are you know she's she. And she came under a lot of pressure that it was like an open invitation. And then since then, of course, she came even under pressure by the Cyprus police. And then later on, she said, no, she was under pressure to say that was, this is consensual. And it was not. So here is the double standard again. This again. is a double standard when it's somebody is not from Israel or somebody is not, you know, then there is a total indifference. So I hope they wake up and look at themselves in the mirror and to see how they've been acting, both to Palestinians and outside, uh, you know, outside, in, in, in outside, whether in Europe or, where, or somewhere else.
0: Well, uh, I couldn't agree with you more, We Looks like we're coming to another close of another episode of Arab Talk.
1: That's right. You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPO, San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Uh, make sure you to go to our website, arabtalkradio.com. We have all our podcasts there. And I want to thank our viewers on Facebook and on YouTube. And we will see you next week. See you
0: next week.